Hey, I am Daniela Stockflit Menis. Welcome to my podcast, because everyone has a story. The place to give ordinary people's stories the chance to be shared and preserved. Or stories become the language of connections. Let's enjoy it, connect and relate, because everyone has a story. For this episode, I have a former colleague, somebody that I had a great time working together. Jonathan Wong is a smart, kind, and artistic man that I immediately connected with when we worked together at Big Brothers. He is also brave. His story focuses on taking the leap from the security of employment as an accountant to starting his own business, combining his passion for cars and drawing so that he had more time to spend with his young family. He is loving life as a new dad and has some great tips for anyone thinking about becoming an entrepreneur. Here is Jonathan's Wong story. Enjoy. Thank you so much, Jonathan, for being here. Oh, it's my pleasure to be here, Daniela. So you have a story to tell us about how you went from accounting to self-employed artists. Yes. I would like to start with how do we get to know each other? I was working at Big Brothers as a company liaison and auction coordinator. <laughs> I loved the job. And then you came and I was like, oh my God, who is Jonathan? <laughs> and everybody was saying, he's the smartest guy from KPNG you came. Yep, that was right. KPMG. Yeah. They said you were you were the smartest guy and it was immediately we click, but I yes. thought Yes, uh, for sure. And then we were always competing. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Well, I mean, I I kind of I don't I can't remember if you know the the backstory to that because when I was introduced to Big Brothers, I kind of I guess forced my way in there a little bit because I knew a partner who I worked for at KPMG who knew one of the directors on the board. And so he basically, I think, kind of told, from what I understand, guys, hey, uh, you need to uh, interview Jonathan. <laughs> yes, I think I know that. <laughs> I don't think there was an option to uh, to meet me, right? <laughs> so I mean, that's how I kind of got into it was I was working at KPMG. Accounting really wasn't wasn't my passion. Actually, I was doing audit in there, right? And so auditing is is a little bit different from accounting in that audit, you're checking the work that the accountants at another company did. It wasn't super exciting for me. That's why I wanted to, to try something new. And that's how, yeah, we I ended up at uh, Big Brothers was because I used to volunteer at Big Brothers as an in-school mentor for a couple of years. And so that was a cause that that was always pretty important to me. And, and I really enjoyed doing it. So when I was looking for something else and I saw a job, right, because it was fundraising, right? So it was not related at all to what I was doing before as an accountant slash auditor. It just seemed really interesting. We, we met and after working with you and seeing the fundraising world after you kind of introduced me to it, I sort of got the bug for for fundraising and, and the not-for-profit world. And then that's when I made the pitch then to, to work at Big Brothers full-time, right? Because that, that first job I did there was just, just a contract with you for... I think it was like what six months we had together only, right? Yeah, uh, yes, but then you you stayed and yeah, then we I saw you more. Yeah, yeah, and then <laughs> <laughs> I think although did I think you were you left by the time I came back, right? Gone. I by left the time in I... April twenty fourteen. Yeah, yeah. So yeah, that's because that was when my contract ended, and then I think uh, then Lily and I went to go travel f for the summer. We went, we took like four months off, traveled around the U.S., and then came back, and you were you were on to your next next project, I think. I see, I see. Yeah. Anyway, the, the time that we were together, it was super fun. Yeah, it was. I still remember, it was, I, was, was it every week or every morning? I'd come into your office and we'd have a little chat 
I still remember those. And it would we'd start with chatting about work, but then inevitably we'd, we'd talk about other stuff. <laughs> <laughs> yes, no, it was fun. And I, I used to make fun of you. Or, or, there was some competition that we had. I don't remember, but it, I just know that working with you, we were always laughing, smiling, and it was just fun. We always did compete on the numbers though, because remember we had, there was statistics every week, how many people we called, how many people said yes, how many people we're going to bring to bowling. And then we'd always compare. Actually, I think you were the more competitive of the two. If yes. I were. <laughs> <laughs> I only compete when I know that I'm going to win. <laughs> and then I think because you, you, you left on to your next job. And then because I went off onto kind of this summer trip, we never actually found out who won. And I think we never went back. Who raised more money from, from that uh, particular campaign? It'll still remain a mystery. <laughs> oh, no, I, I am certain it was me. <laughs> Yeah. Sorry, Jonathan. <laughs> well, you, so did, then, you did have a few years experience on me, so I'll uh, exactly, I'll use that as it. my cop out. <laughs> exactly. But yes, it was fun times. I met fabulous people at Big Brothers and you were one of one of my favorite persons to work with. Oh, thank you. So I'm glad that we're still connected. I am super happy that you're here. You were from KPNG being an auditor, and then you went to Big Brothers as a liaison, but only temporary. When I, I knew you had a plan, then you became an accountant in uh, for Big Brothers. Yeah, that's right. Actually, I, I didn't really have a plan, but it kind of un unfolded because as as I got into more fundraising, I saw this this webinar that was free. And it was basically about kind of fundraising statistics and how you could use all these stats to improve your fundraising efforts. And that's what actually got me hooked on to wanting to stay with Big Brothers because uh, I liked the numbers, right, with my background as an accountant. And I was kind of thinking how I could apply that skill set to actually improve our fundraising efforts at Big Brothers. That's how I made kind of the job pitch to our executive director there. And the initial job that I was supposed to to do was to mostly be on fundraising. When I ended up coming back after taking a few months off to travel, they lost a, a staff member in the accounting department. And so they needed some help there. And basically, that's how I kind of got pulled into more of an accounting role. And eventually, I became the director of finance at Big Brothers. The nice part of the job there was that I actually got to be involved with the fundraising side. And I helped implement Salesforce, which was a new fundraising database. And that's probably what I enjoyed, actually, most about Big Brothers. The non-accounting pieces I felt like were the pieces that made the largest impact. Having this new system to help us contact owners and track all this information and track stats on our fundraising, I felt that that had the most benefit and I, I actually liked doing that work the most. I tried to get away from the accounting piece. I did my best. Inevitably, I, uh, I got roped back in into into that piece. <laughs> I couldn't get yes. away from it. <laughs> but you did a lot of good things for Big Brothers because we were doing things and doing things and you came and you analyzed because you're very good at analyzing things. <laughs> and you caught the amount of events that we were having and to make way more productive and efficient. So I was really impressed with that. Another thing while I was there that I saw that you did just because you're good analyzing stuff. Yeah, I, so like, the, I like the numbers. Yeah, I guess there is a part of me that still is an accountant, right? Because I like the numbers and I like analyzing all the stats that we had and trying to figure out how to optimize what we had, right? And we had, remember we had that plan. It's like, okay, we need to contact this many companies if we want to raise this many dollars. And then we kind of followed through with it. And I think it, I think it worked for the most part. So, <laughs> so I think we did not too bad. Yes, that's true. That's true. And then what happened? So yeah, I worked at Big Brothers. In the end, I ended up being there for, for four years and, and really enjoyed my time there, enjoyed the work that I got to do, really enjoyed the people that I worked with. 
my my wife and I, we had, we had a son. His name's Emerson. He's three and a half. So it was three and a half years ago. Ever since he was born, I just wanted to be at home more. Like I took a month off work uh, once he was born to, to stay at home and get used to being a dad and figure all that kind of first initial stages out. And then after when I went back to work, I just found myself missing missing him so much. And it was kind of tough to be at work. Lily got to stay at home with him. And then she'd tell me all the cool new things he would do during the day. And I just felt like I was missing out a lot. I always saw myself as a dad, just really always looking forward to. So it was tough to have to go to work the nine to five hours, especially when the babies are young, because by the time you get home, like they go to bed at seven. So you only see them for like two hours. That's when I started thinking about what could we do so that I could be at home more, get to be a dad and participate as much as, as I possibly could in in our son's life. And so we started thinking about moving to being self-employed and we kind of started crafting a plan to transition ourselves into self-employment. A precursor to this story is that probably a year before he, Emerson was born, I'd started a small business on, on Etsy and that was selling posters of cars that I had drawn myself. I had just drawn initially a few designs for myself because I, I'm a big car guy and so I have a Studebaker and a Fox body Mustang. So I wanted a piece of art for myself and I drew them. And then one day my mom was like, hey, maybe you should think about selling those. I listed them up on Etsy and ended up getting a few sales. And over that time that I was working at Big Brothers, uh, also working on this little side project uh, doing these designs of posters of cars. That was what we were kind of thinking in terms of when we we're thinking about our, our transition into self-employment. We were thinking about at doing that business full-time. It started growing slowly by itself. I'd work on it here or there, right? And it was there wasn't a lot of time to work on it with Emerson as a baby. I'd do he- little bits here or there. It would just start to actually kind of grow organically. People would share our stuff on Pinterest and then we'd get more sales. It just kept growing by itself and it got to where we actually were able to think about, hey, maybe this could be full-time source of income. Yeah, when Emerson was was about just under a year and a half, that's when we decided to make the leap and I'd leave my full-time job at Big Brothers. Timing was good. I'd hired a friend who was able to take over my role. Big Brothers is in good hands. She's really amazing. And my my parents were not, uh, <laughs> they were supportive, but you could tell, I think of my parents as well as Lily's family. Everybody kind of thought we were a little bit crazy because my wife is a pharmacist. I was the director of finance at Big Brothers. We both had stable, good jobs. And here we wanted to become full-time entrepreneurs of all the fields, art, <laughs> right? Being artists, right? Which is kind of like the <laughs> furthest possible thing, especially if you're, you know, we're, we're, we're both Chinese and having a Chinese family and upbringing. That's probably like one of the last careers that Chinese parents ever think that their kids are going to be. You know, it's doctor, lawyer, accountant. They were a little hesitant and we were kind of like, eh, but we, we kind of thought about it. It, what could possibly be the worst situation? And then we sort of determined because I have such such wonderful parents and I have actually really wonderful grandparents, grandpa and a grandma who's still alive. We kind of figured if we didn't make any money or it took a while to, to get this thing going, we could just move in with somebody <laughs> for, for a while. That was actually our backup plan. That was our worst case scenario. I was, well, my mom and dad will take us in. And then actually at that time, my grandpa had, oh yeah, you could, you could live with us. Okay, well, I got at least two offers for housing. Um, <laughs> they, they, would, they would always feed us too anyways, because we we're, were busy with the baby in the early stages. They'd always bring food over. I'm like, oh, they already got groceries kind of covered. What living, <laughs> what living expenses do we have? We got housing and we got food so we don't really need anything right so that was kind of just having that safety net I think was what allowed us to actually mm-hmm. take that step just knowing that we could always kind of um, count on our family to to help us out of if things ever got too dicey, which they didn't, it, it, it was, it, it ended up being okay. But, um, <laughs> but uh, so I have some questions. For sure. You. So then you typically, is this typical from your friends? Anybody else thinking like you, like, oh, we want to stay home with your kids? 
Not, not really. It's not typical because my friends are, many of them are accountants. They're all pretty much professionals. And I was kind of the odd, odd one out. I think it was just the lifestyle didn't work for me in, in terms of what I was trying to achieve as a parent. Like I really mm-hmm. just wanted to be there for my son as much as I could. And I wanted to actually be able to enjoy because, you know, they're only young once and you only kind of get one shot at it. And I kind of figured even if we didn't make any money from <laughs> from when he was one years old, when we started self-employment to whenever, maybe when he went back to school or however many years that was, even if we were kind of broken and whatever, at least I'd have those years to kind of spend with him. Mm-hmm. And so I think that's just what really made it a must do for us. Seeing yourself as a dad was always something you think you... But yeah, I I don't know where it came from, to be honest. I have an amazing dad. My mom's an amazing mom. To, I was fortunate enough to get to know both my, my grandpas, and they were both really amazing guys. I still have one grandpa left. He's 92 years old, and I still see him every week, and he still helps me out with stuff. So probably came from the role models that, that I had with them. I remember even as, as a kid, I have my stuffed animals, and I'd be playing with them. I always refer to them as my kids for some reasons. It's just something that I think is in my nature. I just always really wanted to be a dad. We just want to be parents. That's kind of <laughs> That's kind of what we built our life with our son right now. And do you know that about Lily since the beginning? Well, you know, she tells me when she was a kid that, yeah, that she kind of dreamed of being <laughs> being at home with her with her kids and raising raising children. The life that we live is quite different from what what most people live. We're both at home basically twenty four seven with mm-hmm. our son. So Jonathan, I grew up with uh, my parents always saying that I have to study, and I never even thought that, that I will have kids. Mm-hmm. And I have to say that having these two boys, the best job I could ever have. I did have to go to work, didn't spend as much time as you are with Emerson. I enjoy so much being a mom and I love it. And I'm so grateful. To me, family is super important because that's the way I grew up with a big family, having aunts and grandparents. I do think though, that you cannot just be home and not do anything but taking care of the kids because they are going to leave eventually. Mm -hmm. And then who are you? You can't be just the identity of a mom or a dad. You also have to create something for yourself. So when they're gone, you continue taking care of yourself. I, I totally agree. And when we want a break from Emerson, we have something, we have a business that we can work on. So that's kind of our thing. We get to work on building it. There's always something new to try. Just having that business is, it gives us a good balance. There's something that we can work on that's not child related when we're needing a break from <laughs> from our from our kid. It's nice to have something somewhere else to go, but where you feel productive, right? And we feel like we're accomplishing things. We'll have designated times that are like family time and we'll all spend together. But otherwise, we'll kind of just do shifts. Somebody will take Emerson in the morning and then the other person will work on the business and then we'll switch in the afternoon. I really like that balance. When I'm with Emerson, then I'm like, okay, I leave work aside and I actually get to to really enjoy him, right? And I think just being a dad, it brings you back to how you were when you were a kid and you do these things you wouldn't do as an adult. You would never think of doing some of these, playing the way they do, you know, using so much imagination. Like as an adult, there's just no place for it in your life anymore. But all of a sudden when you have a kid, they kind of, they bring that out of you. So with him, I just get to be silly, <laughs> right? Just like a <laughs> yes. silly guy. And it's just like... I love that. It's it's so much fun. Tell me about how you learned to draw, to draw so well if you were in accounting. And yeah. When, when did you develop that? I just took a stab at it. I didn't really have any innate artistic ability as a kid. And my mom can attest to that. Basically, I was looking for a picture of a, of a car to, of my car to purchase online. And I was searching. I couldn't find anything. I'll just draw one myself. 
I did. I just drew it. And then I was like, you know what? This is this is not too bad, right? And I think cars, for me anyways, are, are a little bit easier to draw than other things. Just because the lines are straight, you know, cars are very precise. And that's kind of how my style of drawing is. It's very precice. Everything has to be in the right place, has to look very accurate. It's, when you see it, you're like, oh yeah, that looks exactly like that car. And so yeah, I just kind of took a stab at it and, and did it. And eventually, I just got better at it. Like I've drawn now probably over 500 cars. When I look back at the first few that I drew, I'm like, oh, actually, maybe those weren't so great. Great, right? You just keep doing it and doing it got better and better. And I was kind of probably at the right place at the right time in terms of like Etsy, you know, being a growing thing with more and more people, people started seeing my stuff and started liking it. And I was able to actually do this as a job. Mm-hmm. So you are the artist and what, what is Lily doing? Lily really basically runs all of back end of the business. So she does all the logistics, all the shipping sort of stuff. She manages all the websites. So we have a Etsy store, we have an Amazon store, we have uh, our own website, customcarposters.com. She's basically what keeps the operation running. <laughs> that sounds really good. As a family, you're very structured because that's very good that you have you have shift work for the kid and then Emerson will sometimes go to daycare and then you have family time that's pretty good and then also that each of you have a role that's good i mean i have a lot of friends too that work uh, at home in in a, in a family business and they do very well as well and they get to be with the kids so it is possible but you i think you have to have the, the right personality and you have to like your wife yeah i think, I think that's <laughs> important <laughs> and i think actually the the thing that like uh my wife may disagree with me with time at, at times uh, about this, but I think in general, we, we work pretty well together. We have pretty different different skill sets. Like I'm much more big picture, don't care about the details. And mm-hmm. she is she is much more very good about the details, right? So I'm more kind of macro big picture and she's kind of more micro. And I think is what allows us to work together because I'll be talking about all these things. I gotta do this, this, and this. And then she'll be like, oh wait, but we can't do this because of this thing or that thing, right? I think I'd probably get into a lot of trouble if it <laughs> if it wasn't for her. I think we're lucky in that we have complementary skill set. Yes. And we still like each other after uh, <laughs> after being at home probably almost two and a half years now. Yeah, we still... <laughs> so we still we still love each other. So that's that's a good thing. <laughs> I know. I know. I've been with Dave now 24 years. We don't work together. We complement each other too. Like We've been married for seven years and together for, I think, 13 or 14 years. And we're still able to actually have fun. Like even when we're like having a work meeting and we're talking about work stuff, right? We'll still tease each other and we'll, we'll still joke. And that's the part that I, I really enjoy about being able to work with Lily is she is she is like my best friend, right? And so being able to actually spend all that time. For me, anyways, I think life, I think it's just about figuring out how all these things work together. It should be balancing work in life. It should be bringing it all of it together, right? Because our work is part of our life. Drawing pictures of cars, cars is one of my passions, but I get to do it with my wife. And then also my son gets to participate in the business because Emerson, luckily for me, he's a huge car guy as well. He is on the next level. All he talks about is cars. So um, <laughs> he is like, he's a huge car guy. So for us, it, everything's in sync. He likes what we do for our business. And as part of, can kind of consider sometimes a day's work is just taking him out to look at cars because, you know, then we're looking at cars, take a few photos of some cars and him and I get to just go have fun. But that that's part of our job you know, checking out new cars and stuff. So I think, yeah, just having that balance for us is what's really made life great. And yeah, we're very lucky. Yes. Well, you talked about complementing each other's skills and also sense of humor. Yes. Two of the secrets about relationships. Do you have any more secrets? (laughs) Be nice to your wife. (laughs) 
to say, I'm still working on the husband side of things. I think you can never fully get there. I'm still working on it. Like things that I've really enjoyed about having a little bit more time and more flexibility is that I've got to read a lot more books lately. So I've read this year because I've never really read nonfiction books before. Yeah, this year I read like, I think probably four or five books on just relationships, right? And that's not something I never would have had time Mm -hmm. to do before. You realize all the things that you don't know. And so I'm working on it. Like I'm consciously working on it, (laughs) which I think is is probably the most important thing, right? Is that... (laughs) Yes. We're here supposed to live like a hundred years. And the goal is to learn about us and how we can be better people for the rest of the humanity. Yeah. And I think that's the one thing that I really love about being a dad. Having a kid makes you realize how many things that you don't know. And then now that Emerson's three and a half, he's asking all these questions. I don't really know the answer to, oh, dad, why does it rain? And I'll be like, oh, uh, something with evaporation and condensation. (laughs) I'm not really sure, right? I just have to go look it up and then try to explain it to him. I found for me anyways, that having a son, it's made me want to grow more. Like I think I've grown the most since since he was born than at any other time in my life. And you kind of see purpose. You know, the more that I'm able to grow, the more that I'm able to actually share with him. Thank God for Google because our parents or my parents' time, when you ask them why it rains, they will say, oh, because God says so. Oh, or they will say, don't, don't, don't ask silly questions, right? Yeah. And yeah. You don't so have to, now, you don't have to lie to them now because now you can no. just be like, oh, I can actually just find the answer and, and tell well, you, you, right? <laughs> you can lie because that what happened to my mom, right? She, she will, you will say something to them and then they will Google it and said, oh no, I'm sorry, Tata is a myth. And so my mom couldn't say anything. <laughs> yeah, I know the kids will call you out. Like, luckily, I'm sure when Emerson gets to that age, right, and is able to like spell, he'll be able to look these things up on Google and be like, oh, dad, that's that's not factually correct, right? Like, <laughs> I know, I know. I remember that you said, you put that in your LinkedIn that you have some goals. And one of the goals was to read four books a year or four uh, books a month. I, I put 24 books this year or well, tw- no. well, read 12 and then listen to 12 audiobooks. So 24 books in total. Okay. How are you doing with that goal? I actually just, just reached it like just a few days ago. Yeah. So although more of them were audiobooks, that's one thing that I'm, I'm, I'm very thankful for about uh, when I get to do my art, I guess, it uh, and draw these cars, it uses it must use one side of the brain that is not required for, for listening, because I'm able to draw and actually listen to these audiobooks at the same time. So I actually find that uh, really good in that I'm actually able to get some like work done. I'm also able to kind of listen to these audio that that's really helped me uh, get to my goal of 24, <laughs> 24 books. <laughs> Otherwise, I don't think I would have made it without audiobooks. I probably would have made it this year. Yes, I know that I've been reading a lot more too. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So you have explained to us all these things, self-employed artists that you are now. Yeah. Anything else? People, a lot of people now are thinking about having their own business. I think it's not as easy. Yeah. Well, maybe I'll explain exactly what we do for our business from that experience. Because what what we actually sell is we sell posters of cars. And the niche that we we sort of carved out for ourselves is the posters are customizable. If you have a red, red Porsche, and it's a specific shade of red, you can actually choose from our website what color of red you want so that it'll match your actual car. And so we found that, you know, as a car guy myself, that's kind of what all car enthusiasts are sort of looking for is when they're looking for, you know, a picture of their car or a piece of art, they want it to be the exact color so that it is their car effectively. And so I kind of as a car person identified this little niche. And that's kind of how we built our businesses, you know, car enthusiasts who are looking for for this art, there really was nowhere else to to find art that could be customized to match your car. And so and so that's how we kind of were able to carve out that niche. And so what I kind of learned from from that your, your business doesn't really have to be it can be very targeted, very niche, as long as you know your customer base, you're able to make it work. And the world's a lot bigger place than you think. Because when I tell people, 
oh, like I sell posters of cars. I think they're kind of amazed that there's actually enough demand out there to make it full-time business. But there's enough car guys out there, right? And uh, with the internet these days, they can easily find you. Your your business doesn't really have to necessarily appeal to a lot of people, as long as it appeals to people who are genuinely interested in your product. And I think that's where we we were kind of lucky in that 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 particular niche. Because when I did the first designs, it was actually it was it wasn't it wasn't this customizable kind of car thing. I, I had actually drawn a picture of a Mustang flying over a mountain. Not very many people are actually going to be interested in, in drawing that piece of art. After I kind of posted these and had a few sales here and there, customers started actually messaging me saying like, oh, I'd like this car in this color. By getting into that business and just kind of getting our feet in there, I was able to actually listen to the customers and kind of take some of their input. And so that's where now the most of our business is, is on these customizable designs. It was just getting experimenting. And then eventually the customers will tell you what you want. If you listen to them, inevitably end up doing doing pretty well. So I think that that'd probably be some advice that I'd give to anybody who's looking to start a business is that, you know, just experiment with different things. You'll hopefully come across something that works, right? And if you listen to your customers, they'll tell you what they're looking for. And so even now when I'm adding new designs, what I'll do is I'll actually go on Reddit. I'll post a proof or a, a draft version of it. And then I'll actually get feedback because I'll post on a particular car form. Recently, I did one of the Porsche Boxster. I'll go to Reddit and find like the Boxster and I'll say, hey, got Boxster guys, can you guys let me know what you think of this? And then I'll get all this feedback and then I'll adjust the print. I'll post it up again be like, oh, hey, I adjusted it. What do you guys think? So I listen to my customers. And then at the same time when I'm doing that, it's worked out really well because people be like, oh, hey, let me know when this print goes available for sale. And all of a sudden I get these really involved, enthusiastic customers, right? And these are the ones who end up leaving me rev- reviews or end up posting on Instagram. They really are the ones that help me grow the business the fastest. And so would you say that is very important to find a niche? I, I think it depends on what type of business you're, you're doing because I think people would call our business sort of a lifestyle business, right? And a lifestyle business is one where you're not looking to become a, a billionaire, but you're looking to make enough money that it can support a, life, a nice lifestyle where you're also able to have free time. I think for a lifestyle business, I think a niche really is important because that's where you kind of get what you'd call like your sort of competitive advantage or where you'd sort of gain your edge is that um, hopefully whatever niche that you're you're focusing in on is something that you know really well. And so if you know that niche better than anybody else because it's a passion of yours or it's a hobby or it's, I don't know, something you have a lot of experience with, I think that's what actually allows you to really make a solid business is because other people don't know as much as you do or don't have the same drive or the same passion about it. And so with cars, right, because as a big car guy, I'd always be researching cars on the internet or working on on cars in the garage. It was just something that I knew a lot about when I started this business. And people would ask, my husband has this whatever car, can you make a poster of it? A lot of times the person asking for the design wouldn't actually know much about the car. So they'd actually be relying on me to get them the right model. You have competitions? Uh, We do have competition. I wasn't really the first one. The thing that I specialize in is mostly doing uh, the front view of a car, just like directly from the front. That's the kind of angle that I draw all my pictures from. But when I started, there was a few other people who had been doing this for probably a few years before me. My main competitors, one guy did the sides of the cars and then one guy did the backs of the cars. And then when I was looking at it, I was like, hey, nobody did the fronts. Just, well, why don't I just try doing the fronts? That's kind of one of the other things I learned about. You don't necessarily have to be the first. There is room for competition and there's also room to compete on just kind of slightly different variations. I think a lot of being an entrepreneur is about how hard you work, not necessarily about skill. You know, there's definitely better artists in the world than 
than me. But this year, I set one of my goals. You know, you talked about I, I we talked about how I posted my goals on LinkedIn this year. Uh, one of my goals was to draw 250 designs. End up achieving it. Each car takes me probably two or three hours to draw. 700 something hours or something like that of drawing to do. We work hard. Like when we work, we do work hard. I think just keeping at it every day, trying to add new designs, add new things, post on social media, do all these little things. They really make mm-hmm. a big difference. And you don't see it at first. And I think that's the really challenging part. And so if there's anybody out there who's trying to like start their own business, you don't see the results at first, right? You have to keep at it day after day. And it could be a year or longer before you actually start to see these results. And you almost have to just trust that it's that it's going to work. Because the first year that, that we did the business full time, it did all right. It wasn't enough to actually, if it stayed at that, you know, at that level of sales, we probably wouldn't have been able to support our lifestyle forever on that. But we kept at it, kept at it, kept at it. And then the second year, the business grew a lot. And then this year, we're hoping that'll pay off this Christmas with another big increase in sales. I think it's just staying on top of it and just trying to keep doing little by little, adding to your business, building your business. And eventually, you'll get to that point where things start to pay off and you start to get synergies that you didn't think about. You know, the episode that was posted today, Martin, he also said he had an idea that he could help. He tried and he was not getting any calls. He was not giving up. That's how his business started. But if you believe and you you keep at it, then I think that it, it works. It works for sure. Yeah. And I think the thing is also being able to kind of change directions. I think the good thing about me having a background as, you know, from business as an accountant, fundraising, working for the not-for-profit sector is I maybe have a little bit different perspective as an artist. I'm not so in love with any of my art that I'm not willing to change it. My focus is more not so much on what I like as an artist, but it's more focused on what the customers like. I think having a little bit of business perspective too is, has helped us in growing this. Yeah, it's pretty good that you get to ask feedback in Reddit. That's a very clever idea. Yeah, now that I've kind of figured that out, it's kind of our go-to. A few of these guys actually kind of get built some relationships with. I will take full responsibility of teaching you how to connect with people while we were working at Big Brothers. <laughs> well, I think, I think you do deserve a big share of the credit. Before Big Brothers, I didn't really do anything in terms of outreach or connecting just with strangers because that's what we did as fundraisers. Did a lot of cold calling. And I think that skill set, I guess it's almost getting used to rejection is probably <laughs> one of the things that I learned from working with you at Big Brothers is that you get rejected a lot. Yeah, yeah so referrals, get- <laughs> referrals. Yeah, so you get rejected so much. But then referrals, exactly as you said, was the key. You know somebody Mm -hmm. who knows somebody. And then all of a sudden, you got to weigh in and getting and not getting discouraged. Yeah, dealing with rejection. Because like, if you're going to go and do a business yourself, you're going to get rejected, you're going to get turned down, or things aren't going to be successful. I think learning to just live with that and get used to it. Now I'm at the point where I'm almost looking forward to it. Once you get rejected now, it means like, okay, that is just one avenue that didn't work. So now you know, don't try that, try something else, getting closer and closer to almost to something successful. And so I, I almost look at it as a positive these days, as opposed to, you know, when, when I first started, it's like, ah, right, I got rejected again. What do I do different? Going back to think about your goals. So you have done 24 books, yes. including the audiobooks, and then 250 designs. Yeah. You had a financial goal as well. Yes, I, I did have some financial goals. Our biggest goal was to increase sales across all our you know stores, Amazon, Etsy, all that. That was our biggest one. And we won't actually get to figure out if we met it to the end of the year. And I also had one, I guess this one wasn't a goal uh, that I guess I posted it separately on LinkedIn, but I had a goal to retire by by age 40. And yeah, so- no, I know that since I met you, you told me that in <laughs> And I go around telling people that too. <laughs> <laughs> and so, you know, I think, I think we are on target. Like it's still too early to say. 
I'm 30. I'm 32. No, uh, we'll, we'll see. I still got a few years. We are on target for that one. That's like our big overarching lifetime goal. And when we, when we say retire, it's more like we have enough money to um, don't have to worry about anything in terms of paying for housing, cars, standard level vacation. Basically, our, we kind of have three levels of retirement that we've set out in our imaginations for the, for the future. And so we're just trying to achieve our first level, which is basically like able to do exactly what we do now, a couple vacations a year, you go a few times to, to eat meals, all, whatever, whatever that sort of stuff, but without having to work. So that's kind of our, our first level of retirement that we're trying to hit by 40. I do actually enjoy building business. I think once we get there, we probably will end up still be working a lot, but it'll just be things that are purely for fun. We won't be worrying about, oh, are we going to be able to make ends meet? Kind of what we're aiming for. Wow. You told me that when you were 24 <laughs> and, and I was like, what? Oh my God. <laughs> and I think it's, it's because I've always had like a lot of, I've been very fortunate. Like my parents always encouraged me to have a lot of hobbies. And so I've always had more hobbies than I really have had time. I'm kind of imagining this day when I'm 40, where I can actually work on cars as much as I want. Or I I love building things and kind of just like creating new things. Like for a while, I was building electric skateboard. And then I kind of gave that up when Emerson was born. You know, I I got into 3D printing a few years ago. And a lot of times these hobbies kind of end up just going into um, business ideas. How do your family encourage you to have hobbies? What is it was exactly what your mom or your, your parents did? I don't know. It was just I never felt, I guess, afraid to try new things. I would just try new, some, I'd want to try something new. And I'd go tell my parents. And then, you know, a lot of times these things would need equipment or something, they'd be encouraging, and they'd actually go go buy it for me, and then let me do it. I'm a bit obsessive in the way that like, once I start a new hobby, I get like super into it for a period of time. I was really into yo-yos during the yo-yo craze. I don't know if you mm-hmm. remember that, like, yeah, probably like, like 20 years ago, right? Like 20 years ago, yo-yos made a huge comeback. I got one. And then I really was into it. I'd practice a lot. And then I'd be like, oh, mom, I need this yo-yo. It can do these things. And then my mom would be like, okay, she should... She'd get me another yo-yo. And then eventually, I think at the end of this yo-yo craze, I, I had like 20 yo-yos or something like that, right? Just like far too many yo-yos. Uh, nobody needs that many. <laughs> but <laughs> I would just I would just get so obsessed with it and so into it, right? That I would just... And I think the thing is that they, instead of being like, uh, you have enough yo-yos, well, maybe they'd get there probably around the 20th yo-yo mark. On the way up, five, 10, they'd be like, okay, right? They'd still, they'd be able to still be supportive. Mm-hmm. As long as I could justify to them why I would need this extra one, what this one did differently, or how this one was going to help me with, you know, whatever, they would be supportive, right? As long as it was reasonable for me, right? Perfect. One more question for you. Is there anything silly that you do that you want to share? <laughs> I do. Apart from the yo-yo. <laughs> <laughs> I, my mind is like trying to think of like which 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 silly thing can I share that's that's appropriate <laughs> first of all but I think in my nature is to be a, a silly person with Emerson I'm able to actually be my silliest self Kim and I we pretend to create like we call it creating mischief we'll go run around the neighborhood and we'll like pretend to stick glue on cars tires and then we'll we'll do an evil laugh we actually he him and I each have our own evil laugh we'll be like all right let's do our evil laugh and then we'll just be like, wah, ha, 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 ha. And then we'll just like run away, right? And then, and him and I will just like, with, with Lily too, actually. Lily, uh, she can also be quite silly as well. I think I'm silliest when I'm with the two of these guys. I am pretty silly. And, but yeah. Yeah, I knew you. I knew you did a lot of silly things. <laughs> thank you so much for doing this with me. And thank you for sharing with us all the information that you have. No, thank you for inviting me, Daniela. It's, uh, it was my pleasure. And I'm, I'm glad we got a chance to, to talk once again. Thank you. 